even though we know he's omnipotent and omniscient, we still feel the need to lend God a hand. It's like we think we're his administrative assistant or something. Welcome to Truth, Love, Parents, where we use God's Word to become intentional, premeditated parents. Here's your host, A.M. Brewster. Welcome, I am A.M. Brewster, and we're here to help us all become better parents. By the way, Truth, Love, Parent can now be found in a ton of podcast directories, including iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, Google Play, Music, Acast, and many more. Uh, whatever your favorite provider is, please make sure to rate and review us, share and comment as much as possible, because doing that uh, helps us to connect with lots of other people. Uh, thank you in advance for doing that. Today's topic is huge because it's amazing how I, a frail mortal, repeatedly tries to do things that only the all-powerful, all-knowing God of the universe can facilitate. Yet we all regularly try to add these five divine responsibilities to our job descriptions. And when we do, not only do we hurt ourselves uh, and our relationship with God, but we also lose respect and trust with our families. It may be hard to see when we're taking God's job, but it's pretty easy to know when other people are doing it, and our families can see right through our God disguises. I want you to think about just some of the things God has done. Creating the universe, facilitating each atom, tracking every sparrow, counting the stars, and superintending every event to achieve his greatest glory and the benefit of his followers. If God weren't God, he'd definitely have his hands full. Yet even though we know he's omnipotent and omniscient, we still feel the need to lend God a hand. It's like we think we're his administrative assistant or something. Well, guess what? He doesn't need our help to do his job. In fact, there are many cases where he flat out commands that we stay away from that which only he can do. So, what divine tasks have you tried to usurp recently? Number one is a big one. Um, Number one, oftentimes we try to save people. Now, we all know that we can't redeem anyone's soul from hell. We need Christ's shed blood as much as the next guy. However, we often pretend that we can see the heart of man and then use that divine insight to make pronouncements concerning another's eternal destiny. And what's worse, many people do this with their children. I once spoke with a teen who informed me that he'd recently been born again. He also told me that when he shared this news with his father, Daddy-O reminded his son that he'd been saved since he was five and insisted his son had merely received, quote, assurance of salvation. Sadly, eight months later, that young man had completely rejected God and is now a hardcore atheist. Uh, He had never been saved, not earlier when he was five, not later in his teens, and dad, not good. Instead of being aware of his son's doubt, confusion, and searching, Father Deer assuaged his own concerns by futilely trying to write his son's name in the Book of Life. While trying to convince his son that he was saved, Dad missed the chance to share Christ with him. We can't save someone, and we can't know for certain a person is saved. You can tell a tree by its fruit, but we seem to regularly mess that up too. When dealing with someone about their eternal destiny, let God's word be their source of joy and comfort. I recommend pointing the person to 1 John. It's also very helpful to take them through Galatians 5, where it lists the fruits of the flesh and the Spirit. Allow the scriptures to reveal their standing with God. If they don't have assurance from the Bible, you shouldn't say anything to convince them. That's God's job. I will say, though, however, on a flip side, it is very beneficial um, if somebody is living in such a way that the Bible is clear that Christians don't live like that, 
uh, that you point that out to them. Again, you're not God and you can't say to them, you definitely aren't saved and I know it. But when I was nine, my mom came to me and told me, Aaron, you, you are not living like a Christian. You are living, everything you do is for yourself. And by God's grace, um, he used my mom to help me come to know him and uh, a relationship with him through his son at the age of nine. I thought I had been saved, but I wasn't. And my mom was so helpful in that. And this idea of saving someone is this, uh, when we try to take God's job and confirming for someone that you are, in fact, born again. I never use those definitives with my children. I'll say, if it's true that you've uh, asked Christ to be your Savior, if you truly are born again, then, and I'll fill in the blank, um, sometimes I'll, I'll use more general terms, um, but I always leave it open that Daddy doesn't always know and that the key thing that we need to rest on for assurance of our salvation is not what Mom and Dad say, it's what God says. Now, on to the second, the second way that we take God's job. We get revenge. Most Bible readers are familiar with the anti-revenge injunction, but does that really stop them? God says, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. But we love to punch in with our holy time card and start delivering pallets of vengeance. We use passive-aggressive quips, manipulation, caustic remarks, gossip, and all-out backstabbing techniques simply because we want our antagonists to feel the same pain we did when they hurt us. Ladies and gentlemen, this is sin every time. God saves this chore for himself because he's the only one who can exact righteous vengeance. We avenge because we feel we must protect our own pride. God avenges because his holiness is actually worth it. The third way we take God's job and fail at it is that we condemn others. Have you ever said something like, he'll never change? Oh, really? According to the Bible, change is God's biggest accomplishment. Behind every moment and minutia of the day, God's sovereign hand is working to change you and change me. Yet our divine condemnations are actually motivated by pessimistic hatred, not love. Yes, when we say things like he'll never change, it's motivated by hatred. You see, love hopes all things and believes all things. Just check out 1 Corinthians 13, 7. True love rests in God's ability to do the miraculous and optimistically looks forward to our loved one's maturity. When we assume someone will never change, we're being hateful. We also heist this God job when we judge people for doing things the Bible doesn't directly address. It's true that we are commanded to make judgments. John 7.24 says, Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. But the key is, we're to use God's word and his wisdom to discern between good and evil. However, when we judiciously decree that someone is sinning in an area the Bible doesn't specifically name— we must be very careful. Condemning a soul is God's job. The fourth way, we assume motives. First Samuel is very clear that man's understanding of another man is very limited. We see the skin. However, God has the ability to know the thoughts and intents of a person's soul. In First Samuel 16, 7, it says, God sees not as man sees. For man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Yet that rarely stops us from assuming we know why people do what they do. I've seen it before, you say. I know why she did that. He always does the same thing because he'll never change. God has equipped us with the wisdom and discernment necessary to shine his truth in a situation. When we use the Bible, we can often have a very clear picture of the motivations 
God reveals. But because our personal insight can only penetrate the freckle level, we must remember the four key things about interpreting another's motives that we discussed in episode five, four ways to better understand your child. And one of the biggest, I think the biggest ways that we steal God's job is number five, we receive worship. Of all the things God's responsible for, this one is the most dastardly to usurp. However, we're so stuck on ourselves, we're quick to impersonate God when worship is being passed out. This is the proverbial dancing where angels fear to tread, for even angels are smart enough not to take this job. How many times today have you impersonated God by receiving worship? Now it's easy to hear that question and say, nobody has offered a sacrifice to me or burnt incense and no one's prostrated themselves before me as I walk through the hallway. Uh, But that's not what I'm talking about. Ken Collier said there are just two choices on the shelf, pleasing God and pleasing self. When we reject God's will and do what's right in our own eyes, we're placing ourselves higher than God. We are worshiping ourselves. Everything from reading blogs to parenting to eating to taking out the trash must be done as an act of worship to God. The moment we don't actively desire God's glory, we're seeking our own. Interestingly enough, it's when we snatch this task from God that we seek to take the other four jobs to ourselves as well. If, while listening, you've been perceptive, then you've realized two things. We all have taken God's job more often than we ought. And number two... The one constant that runs through all of these impersonations is blatant arrogance and pride. We've come to the place where we think we can do God's job better than he can. It's so easy to give someone confidence in their eternal state, exact revenge, condemn others, read people's minds, and bask in the glory of worship. Unfortunately, we not only epically fail with each attempt, we make everyone else's God-given jobs that much more difficult because now we're the ones that need to be rebuked, corrected, and admonished. We've been tasked with enormously vital responsibilities, satisfying and fulfilling jobs. God wants you to be his ambassador. He's gifted you to fulfill every single one another in scripture. He's given you his word to use in discipling, counseling, parenting, leading, and mentoring your children. He's called you to bear the fruit of the Spirit and to put on the whole armor of God. He's entrusted you with the life-changing gospel of Christ. There are plenty of things to keep us busy. So stop taking God's job. If you think it would be helpful to have a PDF to remind you of the five things we discussed today, please look for the link in the description. I look forward to spending time with you on Tuesday when we discuss a very touchy subject for your children. It's called, What Does God Think About Your Kid's Music? If you have any questions or comments, please let us know at counselor at evermindministries.com and definitely like and follow TLP on Facebook and me on Twitter. And be sure to rate and review Share and comment every opportunity you get. Have a fantastic day. Truth, Love, Parent is part of the Evermind Ministries family and is dedicated to helping you become an intentional, premeditated parent. Join us next time as we search God's Word for the truth your family needs today.